Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, welcome to Mortification of Spin, your regular podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. I'm here with my regular co-hosts, uh, Amy Bird and Todd Pruitt. Before we get to the topic of the day, I just want to refer to a report we had recently from our good friend, Colin the Book in Belfast, who's been doing some interesting uh, research on the work of Amy Bird. Uh, he ran a sort of stylometric analysis of Amy's works <laughs> and those of Anne Voskamp. <laughs> and came to the startling conclusion that it's 95% likely that they're the same person based on their, their written style. That might be coincidence, but he then did an analysis of their hairdos and came to the conclusion that he's 98% certain. My hair is hair, symmetrical. Their hair is cut by the same person. One of those facts in isolation might lead us to think, you know, it's a coincidence. Both of them together, way beyond reason. Okay. You know I what? Agree. You two must be very broken people <laughs> but to it's a be good having brokenness. so much fun. Yeah. You need some good broken people to overcome the bad broken people. <laughs> <laughs> Colin's big question was that he knows that Amy's books have got to be stocked in the books only to be read by women section. <laughs> but are they to be put under B or under V? That's the big question. So, Colin, if you're out there, brother, thanks so much for doing that uh, research for us. Yeah. Terrifying in its implications. Mm-hmm. Um, we will leave our listeners to to do the right thing. And, and I think it's important to know that the only person really willing to do this has to be located across the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> that's right. That, that anybody in the yeah, U.S. that's yeah, doing this is yeah. taking their lives in their own hands. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Yeah. That's a good warning, Todd. Yeah. You're a hero. <laughs> anyway, uh, having alienated a, a big chunk of our listeners by that intro, all of the eight fans out there who are now brokenhearted to realize that she's merely an avatar. And by the way, I'm saying, you know, we want to see the birth certificates. That's it. <laughs> the birth certificate. Anyway. Well, you know, Anne doesn't have any E's in her name. I have two E's mm. on my birth yeah. certificate. Yeah. Sounds like compensation. I think we need to, to refer to you simply as Amy Bird Camp from now on. <laughs> to avoid the, uh, the difficulty of making a decision. Terrible. Awful people. <laughs> anyway, the topic we want to discuss today is that of small groups in the church. What place do they have? We were all been reading recently an article by a friend, Bill Bookerstein, uh, on the importance of small groups in churches. And I know that my church has small groups uh, that I do not actually attend. <laughs> But Todd's church, too, has, uh, has groups that meet during the week, as mm-hmm. does Amy's. We want to talk about uh, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, problems to be wary of. Mm-hmm. So, guys, small groups, good things, bad things, indifferent things. Very good things. Amy, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I love small groups. Mm-hmm. I think that everybody should be in one. And I think if a pastor of a church isn't, there's a problem. I agree. Okay. That's another detective story. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, I I I love the the use of small groups. We call them home groups. They they meet in homes throughout the week, and I think they're tremendous. Obviously, when done well, 
They're right. a tremendous help. They could be dangerous when not sure. done well. Sure. Um, when, when they are, when they have proper oversight and equipping from, from leadership within the church, they are tremendous tools for our growth in fellowship, our growth in Christ-likeness, our growth in understanding of the word. I just think they are excellent, excellent tools in the church's toolbox. And as Amy just hinted at, uh, because of that, if they're not done well, they can be very destructive. Um, Amy, I want to uh, go, go with that for a minute. Amy, okay. where have you seen or where have we heard of instances where they're not done well and, and what can be the pitfalls of that as a well, result? I encountered that maybe in my 20s. I was leading a woman's Bible study, which is a small group offered mm-hmm. in our church. And a couple of the women loved the Bible study, but they weren't big fans of church. Oh, yeah. And so they decided that Bible study was their church. Yeah. And like I had to sit down with them and, um, you know, talk to the pastor and let him know as well what was going on there with that. Like that, um, that could never replace the actual means of grace that God provides to bless us with Christ. And, um, that's where discipleship begins. Right. And small groups are more of a, a trickle down effect, mm-hmm. you know, a fruit mm-hmm. from that. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful fruit if used rightly, but, um, I actually, you know, came to the conclusion with, with my pastor that unless that they were committed to going to the church, they couldn't come to the small group mm, mm, because, because they were so adamant about it. Right. Right. Boy, that would be a hard trigger to pull for some people. But if we believe what we say, we believe mm-hmm. about how God grows his people, the ordinary means of grace, the preaching of the word, the sacraments, et cetera, then, then we would want to say to a person in a small group, who's committed to coming to a small group and equally is committed to not being in fellowship with God's people on the Lord's day. We want to say, this is actually not helping you the way you think it's helping you. Right. And the leaders of small groups should definitely want to be submissive to the leadership of the church. You know, a lot of times they can, you know, maybe like the influence that they have over a group of people and become some sort of, leader that could be subverting right. the teaching in the church, which is another danger. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I like small group leaders to know is that part of their function is to help the people of our church know the Bible better, mm-hmm. apply it better to their lives, and to help serve the greater unity of the church as well. And if their small group isn't doing that, if it's being counterproductive to that, mm-hmm. uh, then it's not doing it. Well, and well. the elders have a responsibility to equip leaders well. Yep. Because, yep. I mean, that's a big responsibility. Yep. yep. We, have, we have an elder, at least one elder present. Yeah. In most of our small groups, if not all, but I, certainly most of them, there is at least one elder that participates, if not leading the small group, at least as a participant in that. And that helps us. Uh, first of all, they're there because they want to be there, but, but that also helps us as, as the session keep a pulse and, and to make sure that those small groups are doing what they ought to be doing. Yeah. One criticism I've heard has been that uh, small groups can create factions within the mm-hmm. church, sort of, I am mm-hmm. a Paul, I am of Apollos. Yeah. I have to say, I've not had any experience of mm-hmm. that at all. And the churches I've been in where there've been small groups, they've always worked very well and been yeah have worked towards a kind of coherent church mm-hmm. rather than yeah. against it. Do either of you have experience of that or any ideas as to how that comes mm-hmm. about or how it might be dealt with if it did emerge as a problem? I've seen some instances where, not in the church I serve in currently, but I've seen some instances where where a small group has become divisive precisely because 
the leader of the small group decides that uh, maybe he doesn't or she doesn't like the direction of the church or um, I have absolutely not- no idea about which church you're talking about at this point. Tom. No <laughs> I don't, idea whatsoever. I'm, so this is strictly hypothetical. You sure you're, um, yeah, you're just making this up? Yeah, yeah strictly <laughs> hypothetical. And, and because of that, you know, people begin. Amy alluded to the language earlier. You know, well, you know, my church is my right. small group, mm-hmm. and that's really dangerous. I mm-hmm. I know of a church where the Sunday school classes, the adult Sunday school classes, are called quote small churches. And they very much operate like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they do not allow oversight. They do not allow pastoral oversight. And we say, what do you mean they don't allow it? I mean, they don't allow it. Mm-hmm. And, That's just and strange. It was very, very strange. But it's in instances like that where small groups become destructive. Well, I think one good thing our church does to um, kind of have preventative measures to have the right view of everything is once a month, all the small groups. So we small groups meet two Sundays out of the month Mm -hmm. and one Sunday out of the month, all small groups are invited together for a fellowship meal. And I think that's very helpful. And often the small groups take turns being in charge of the fellowship meal and um, serving the rest of the church. Mm -hmm. I just think that's a beautiful way to to help keep bringing, bringing the small groups together. Yep. It's a good idea. One of the things I like to just encourage churches to, to think about as, as they're thinking about small groups is just make it really clear as you're developing leaders, you know, what, what the purpose is. This is not a replacement for Lord's Day worship. You know, the sacraments are not um, administered in small groups. The word is not preached. It should be explained well. It should be applied well, but it's not, it's not preached in that sense. But make sure that these elements are in your small group, the teaching of the word, the application of the word, fellowship and prayer, and do those mm-hmm. things well. And to make sure that if you're a small group leader, that you desire and invite the, the oversight of the elders of the church. And if you are a pastor or a part of a session of a church and you're not giving oversight to your small groups, then, then that's not good leadership because you're leaving people kind of off on their own and mm-hmm. uh, you shouldn't wonder why if they go astray, if you're not giving them good oversight. Well, let's talk about some of the benefits because um, yeah. we, <laughs> we talked about all these dangers and, yeah. and I love small groups. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, you know, in different churches I've been in, they've had different names, uh, nurture groups, growth mm-hmm. groups. And I think that the names even show some of the benefits mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. But um, journey groups. Are there any journey groups out there? <laughs> probably are, but uh, no, I haven't. Yeah, haven't I, been in a journey group. I mean, one of the great benefits I see as a pastor is that in healthy small groups, there's really good care that goes on mm-hmm. for people. And one of the things I love to see as a pastor is that these folks who are involved in home groups, if they have a hospital stay coming up, if they you know if they're facing a surgery or if one of their kids is astray and that kind of thing, they're going to get a visit from me or one of the other pastors, but, but they also have this direct involvement mm-hmm. of the people who they fellowship with every week in their living rooms. And mm-hmm. it just provides this wonderful extra layer of ministry in their life. I see it very much as an extension mm-hmm. of the pastoral care of the church. And so one of the things I do when I tell people and encourage them to be part of the small group is that if you're in a, in a small group, you're going to be cared for well. Right. When there's a crisis in your life, you're going to be cared for well. You're going to have, because people know you here. 
Do you connect the content to the Sunday teaching? And at Cornerstone, the small groups tend to use the sermon Mm -hmm. as the basis for discussion at small group during the week. Is that one way that you've found helpful for connecting the the weekday stuff to the weekend stuff? We don't require it, but some of our small groups do that. Some of our small groups use the sermon content. And every week I produce a, a front and back sheet, a sermon guide that goes through everything I'm going to be preaching. And those are given out on Sunday mornings. And we have a few home groups that use those then for application and discussion. Mm-hmm. You've made me sound so incompetent. I never do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still writing my sermon at, you know, morning. Yeah. And uh, so, so yeah, so some of the groups do that and they find that very helpful and we don't require that, but we do have, one of our elders, who's also a, a teaching elder on staff with us here, he is a person who's kind of the point man to meet with our small group leaders, and he vets all the material. And um, and that's so, small groups is this? Uh, he's uh, he's uh, he's an associate pastor over adult discipleship. He's a pastor and, for small groups then. Uh-huh. Uh, well, and, and Sunday school and and uh, Sunday school. But but listen, yeah. Carl, don't be jealous. It's okay. You're valuable. Totally you're, jealous. You're, you're, you're you're valuable too. Um, but <laughs> but but he vets the material. So I'm you know we have confidence to say our small groups use good mm-hmm. material. I just think the hospitality element is huge. Mm-hmm. With small groups. I mean, you're doing life with these people, inviting them into into different homes, and it's that yep. whole brother sisterhood dynamic really plays out well. And then you know, if whether you're studying a book of the Bible together or whether you are talking about the sermon and applying it to your lives. I I know that our prayer request time is really rich Mm -hmm. in our small groups. And, you know, people, it's a safe space to use an overused term to actually trust one another with, you know, things that you're struggling with and need prayer for. And to be able to lean on those prayers gives you a lot of confidence during the week, I think. And it also you know, people check in on one another, like, how are you doing with this? And, mm-hmm. you know, our prayer requests tend to be a lot more personal and spiritual in our small groups. We encourage that. The elders encourage that. Yeah. And, and sure, pray for Aunt Betty who has cancer. You know, that's important. But yeah. um, we really do try to make that a time to focus on our spiritual growth. Yeah. yeah. One of the things we tell folks in our, in our membership class is that if you're intimidated or, or wondering if, if a church with you know, about a thousand people is too big, being in a small group will make this church a lot smaller you know, in the best sense of, of that term. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where you get to really know people. You and, build relationships. And, absolutely. Absolutely. And to your point also, Amy, it is a great training ground for hospitality. Mm-hmm. If you want to grow in being more hospitable, a small group will really help you do that. Host right. them, host them sometime mm-hmm. in your home and, and learn how to do that. Yeah. And in the, um, this core Christianity article we were alluding to in the beginning that uh, Carl mentioned, it's called 10 benefits of church small groups. And one of the benefits he names is accountability. Mm-hmm. And I do think that that's important in the Christian life. And, and it's not, you know, accountability partners type thing no, no. or whatever. It's just, I think more natural mm-hmm. accountability because you're meeting with these people on a regular basis. You're praying for one another. You know, these people are yeah, praying you, for you. You're studying yeah. the word together. You start to become known is right. the point. There. Right. And so therefore the first line of people, so to speak in my life who will encourage me or confront me mm-hmm. when I need to do that, correct me, help me ideally are those people in that small group. It's yeah. entirely possible to attend 
Lord's Day worship every week, which is vital, but it's entirely possible to do that and never really be known. Yeah. And so by joining a small group, you are saying to these brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm going to let you start to, to really know me. I need to be mm-hmm. known by some people. And some people have a hard time with that. I do. So like, I would just say, in, encourage people by inviting them to your small group. Uh-huh. I, I would also say that it can be an important evangelistic opportunity. So, so for those evangelists in your church, it's great to get them in a small group because they will start to do things like, Hey, you know, I've got this neighbor that I've developed a relationship with. They don't know Jesus. Let's begin to pray for them. Maybe invite them over for a dinner, that kind of thing. And we have seen some people in our church come into our church just that way Hmm. because somebody in a small group invited them to a fellowship they were having or something like that. And, Mm -hmm. and in part, we just finished the first time we've ever done Christianity Explored. And Mm -hmm. part of the success of the first time we did it is that we ran it several times through some small groups and those small groups got acquainted with it and got excited about it and they invited people to it then. Mm -hmm. And so God really leveraged our small groups in an evangelistic way Mm -hmm. this time, which was really encouraging. They were key in helping us pull this off. So that was good. So all kinds of great reasons to have small groups, just, just provide good oversight, resource them. Well, elders give them great resources Mm-hmm. And, and there are some great resources out there. Right. And provide something for the leaders of those small groups to be equipped and to learn and yes. to share. Yes, exactly. I've told people this before. I am more comfortable preaching a sermon than I am sitting down and leading a discussion. Wow. Because in some ways that's harder. Huh. And, and so train your people to do that. Mm-hmm. E- equip them to do that. Because at least, you know, in a sermon, I don't have people stopping and asking a completely unanticipated question out of the blue. <laughs> Which happens very to... often. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So be ready for that and help your leaders be ready for those situations because they can, you know, you get all kinds of people who will ask all kinds of things. I right. mean, you might have Carl Truman walk in and who knows what he might say. <laughs> I'd ask you about yoga. <laughs> Good, bad, indifferent. <laughs> oh, that would be the nightmare question for the leader. <laughs> Well, I think this has been a good discussion. Thanks for listening today. I hope that we've encouraged you to join a small group in your church if you haven't already been in one, if you're not in one, and also to invite others to your small group. And I hope we've also encouraged leaders in the church to help equip other leaders well in small groups. Today, we want to offer a resource to some of our listeners who can enter to win. It's a book by Orlando Sayer, published by Christian Focus. It's called Iron Sharpens Iron, Leading Bible-Oriented Small Groups That Thrive. So if you head on over to our website, mortificationofspin.org, you can enter to win a copy of that. And you could also leave donation there for our podcast if you feel led to do that as well. And thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.
Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about Being made in the image of God is not a social construct. It is a biblical and theological claim that transcends particular societies and cultures. To begin talking about what's encoded on every cell in your in your body becomes something that's very, very distressing and, and upsetting for some. What does God send for us after the fall? It's a, a body. That interview is next time. Join us then. Um, yeah, well, I mean, Amy, Amy's a member of a, of a mega church in terms of OPC. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Well, we're, we're, growing. we're growing out of our building. We're triple digits. That Joseph. never happens. That never happens we in the OPC. We are having to purchase our property and then build a whole new sanctuary. So you guys will be able to write a book because nobody in the OPC has to do that. How do you do this? <laughs> <laughs> Closing gospel center churches. That's the, the book. <laughs> <laughs>